The last book in the Bible is called the book of Revelation. And it's a bit of a challenging book, honestly, to understand. But anybody can read that book and get the main point. In the end, we win. In the end, we win. This thing is going to end well. And um, so in the book of Revelation, John, he is one of Jesus' disciples. And um, he's banned to this island called Patmos. And he's there, and it's there that God starts to speak to him and shows him things that will happen in the future. Things that are yet future to him that will happen. And Jesus starts talking to him about his second coming. And um, one of those um, scenes is in Revelation chapter 7. And so here, John, is taken to heaven, so to speak, and gets a glimpse into the future. And what he sees is this seen this throne room scene. He sees God seated on the throne. And then here in in verse 9, he describes what he sees. I'm just going to read this to you. Revelation 7 verse 9. This is John speaking. And he says this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. No one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so John looks into the future and he sees this great multitude before a throne. It's like nobody can count those. These are so many people. And the other thing he notices is that they are made up of every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Every language is represented before the throne. And they're all worshiping Jesus. And acknowledging him for their salvation. And this is amazing. Because John sees the future fruits of your labors. John sees the future fruit of our labors. He says, one day before the throne of God, there will be Somalis worshiping Jesus. One day before the throne of God, there will be people from Yemen, people from Saudi Arabia, people from Kenya, people from Djibouti, people from Kazakhstan, people from China. People from Puerto Rico, people from Morocco, people from South Africa, every tribe, all of them will stand before the throne and they will all say, Jesus saved us. It's the future fruit. And so we engage every tribe, every people group with great confidence, knowing like one of you is going to get saved. Like one of you one day will stand before that throne, you wave a palm branch for some reason, and you say, Jesus saved me. All right? So that's awesome. So we engage with great confidence. God says this thing is going to happen. Now, there are still many unreached people groups in the world. There's over 12,000 people groups in the world, and we still have thousands that are unreached. But here's the good news. So, so we have a real task before us. But we've mapped out all the different people in which churches for every unreached people group in the world. Nearly, so a thousand churches can designate a missionary to every unreached people group, and we'd cover every unreached people group. There's about 80,000 evangelical Christians for every unreached people group. The church has roughly 3,000 times the financial resources and 9,000 times the manpower needed to finish the Great Commission. We can finish this in your generation. The task of world evangelization can be finished. Missiologists are saying, like, we can actually finish this if we give ourselves to this. Now, the same time, it's not going to happen by itself, right? Every generation has to choose, like, are we going to say yes to this challenge? Are we going to give ourselves to it? 
Here is one sobering statistic. Of all the money that the church has in the world, an estimated $450 million annually is given to unreached people groups. Now, $450 million is a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money if you consider all the believers in the world and everything that's given. Right? Many, many millions. In fact, billions of dollars uh, um, is given annually by Christians, but only 450 million goes towards missions among unreached people groups. That's 0.001% of all giving. In fact, 450 million is the same amount that Americans, only Americans, use, that Americans spend on Halloween costumes for their pets. So Americans spend as money on Halloween costumes for their pets as the church worldwide gives to missions related to unreached people groups. Which means I think we can do better. I think we can do better. One other sobering statistic is this. For of all the missionaries that are in the world, less than 10% work among unreached people groups. Majority go to reach people. And the other thing is, of all the missionaries that are in the world, the ratio of men to women is one to seven. Seven women for every one man on the mission field. Guys, what the heck? Honestly. We, we need to step it up. And I want to honor the women for their courage and their willingness to go. Again, the problem is not with God not sending. The problem is with people not willing to go. There's mostly women on the field. There's a lot of men who are passive. Who are not responding to the call. And that's a very old problem. When Adam and Eve were in the garden. Eve was the first one to sin. And we blame Eve. But Adam just stood by passively and did nothing. Just let it happen. And King David, I've referred to this in a class last week, it said in that spring when the kings go to war, when it's time to fight, what did David do? The, the commander, like the great warrior king of Israel, he stayed home when it was time to go to war. He stayed home and then he had this affair with Bathsheba, right? He broke half the Ten Commandments in one single episode. When it's time, when God calls us to war and we stay home, it often leads to compromise. And so that we have a lot of men who, who are just passive. And the Great Commission calls us to action, right? It tells us to go and do something. Change of location. Go and do something. And the opposite is to stay and do nothing, to be passive. And the world is suffering under the passivity of men. Men who are not fighting for their marriages. Men who are not fighting for their children. Men who are not giving themselves to a cause. But just living. And they're breathing, but they're not alive. Just kind of letting life happen. There's no vision. There's nothing they're giving themselves to. They're dead on the inside. And live for entertainment. And whatever numbs them and disconnects them from the reality of their honestly sad life. Guys, we need to step up to the task we don't want to be like that we don't want our lives to be defined by just aimlessly wandering around until we die we don't want to be men who passively stay at home and sleep around 
We want to give ourselves to the call of God. Matthew 9, verse 36 to 38, is Jesus is walking on the earth, and it says this, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they're weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then Jesus, this to his disciples, says, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He sees the multitude. He sees all the people who are lost. He says, guys, the laborers are few when the harvest is great. And I want to tell you guys, the harvest is great in the nations. There's people waiting, but the laborers are few. And my prayer is that Jesus reject anybody. Men who will rise to the occasion. And to say, I am going to serve the Lord. I'm going to live for a cause. Cause. Gosh. I'm going to live for a cause. He, we have heroes in our midst. Heroes in our midst. In Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, verse 32 onwards, it says this. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's like the biblical hall of fame. Like heroes of the faith. And it talks about people that have gone before us who were just amazing. And it says, and what, and he, he talks about Moses and Abraham and Isaac and a whole bunch of people. And then goes on and it says, and what more shall I say? For the time, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, who worked righteousness, who obtained promises, who stopped the mouths of lions, who quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, who became valiant. I never know how to pronounce that word. Valiant? All right. In battle. Turn to flight the armies of the aliens. Aliens. Say it's in the Bible. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Scourging? Whatever. Yes, and of change and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Heroes, people who sacrificed, people who were faithful, people who persevered, people who didn't just make a living, people who made a difference. We want to be among those kind of people. And yet, here's the cool thing, because I want to encourage you. The one thing that all these guys and girls have in common. Because you might think, gosh, I, I'm not like that. I can't do that. That's what scares me. I feel weak. I'm broken. I don't have all my crap together. This is what it says. The one thing they all have in common. Verse 34. Out of weakness, we're made strong. What was the one thing that all these hearers had in common? All of them were weak. That's what God says. He calls them weak. All of them from weakness were made strong. You may feel weak. And I would say you're a prime candidate for God's grace. Your weakness does not disqualify you from the hall of fame in scriptures. Well, you're not going to be in scriptures. But you can be part of the heroes of the faith. See... All of them were normal, ordinary people who went from weakness to strength by the grace of God. One of the guys mentioned here was Samson. Like when we get to heaven, of course, we want to meet all these guys, right? They're like, Lord, I want to meet Peter or John or Moses or whatever. It would be so cool. Elijah would be so cool. And then maybe you'd want to meet Samson. 
And you ask, she, she's, where's Samson? She's like, oh, he's right there. You can meet him. And you're like, what? That is Samson? Because I think when we want, expect to meet Samson, we think he looks like The Rock or the guy from Aquaman, right? right if you believe any, any kid's Bible book, like Samson is like seven feet tall and just a huge man because he was so strong. But really, I don't think he looked like that. It's said in Scripture that he was ordinary looking like any other man. In fact, people were wondering, like, where does your strength come from? Even his wife. I mean, it'd be a silly question to ask if he looked like The Rock or the guy from Aquaman. It's like, where does your strength from come, come from? I can't tell. But his wife didn't know. His wife's looking at him and it's like, gosh, Simpson, you're so strong. I don't know. Where does that come from? <laughs> Obviously not his muscles. It's just an ordinary looking guy, but... God gave him supernatural strength. God will use ordinary people. And he will give you supernatural courage. He will give you supernatural strength. He will give you supernatural wisdom. He will fill you with his spirit so that you can make a difference. Jesus took all his disciples from weakness. were made strong. He said, Peter, come follow me. And I will make of you a fisher of men. He doesn't look for the qualified. He looks for the willing. And he said, if you're willing, I will qualify you. If you're willing to come and follow me, I will make of you a fisher of men. Like, God, I don't think I can do this. I'm not, I've never been to the nations. I'm not I'm gifted like this. And Jesus said, all I'm looking for is a willing heart. And I will make something of you. Now, missions can look many different ways. Different ways. God, I'm struggling to speak English this morning. Missions can look, thank you, Connor. <laughs> Always encouraging. I love it. Missions can look many different ways. Missionaries are not all evangelists and church planters. It can look many different ways. I want to talk about that just for a minute. When Marlise and I went to Kenya, we did all kinds of things. And we did church planting. We did some evangelism. But we started children's homes. Marlise started this rescue home for teenage girls who've been raped and gotten pregnant. Um, we did who do all kinds of things related to human trafficking and community development. And, and, and I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. And God will use whatever you're passionate about, wherever your strength or your giftings are, he can use that. He will use it. One thing that I love is scuba diving. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a master scuba diver trainer. I'm a dive instructor. And, and it's just something that I've loved and it's just been fun. And like two years ago, I got became a dive instructor, and I've been training people here to dive. We get a little scuba movement going. And, uh, but I remember a few years ago, I was talking to a guy who's like a coach, and I just wanted to kind of process with him. And um, I've always had a plan B in my life, and that's to be a dive instructor. Right? I've always thought if God ever fires me or I mess up as a missionary, I'm just going to be a dive instructor. If life gets too hard, I'm just going to disappear underwater and hang out with the fish. Nobody bothers me. Everything's beautiful, quiet, peaceful. That's great. It's always my escape plan. It's still my plan B, to be honest. And, um, and so I just developed the diving thing. And, and so one day I'm, I'm talking to this coach, and, he's, and um, we're driving somewhere in California near Newport Beach. And I said, oh, that's a nice dive site, actually. And then he said, Daniel, about diving. And he stops the car. He said, Daniel, why do you always separate them? He says, you're always saying either you're serving the Lord and your missionary or you're backslidden and scuba diving. <laughs> and he said, maybe those things can come together. Maybe the Lord can actually use what you love. And so I was like, yeah, maybe he can, actually. I just didn't think of it that way. And uh, so then I thought, Marlies is like, Daniel, you should just go for this. So I became a dive instructor. And um, so I moved here and... 
Um, last year, a friend of, uh, who's now become a friend of mine, a guy came here to do uh, one of our secondary schools, Bible school here, and um, he had done the Crossroads DTS, and I'd spoken there, and, and he met the Lord or whatever. So, he, but he's from Miami. He's a business owner in Miami, and um, he was, he, after his DTS, he went back to Miami, and he wanted to learn to scuba dive, and so he signs up with his dive shop to sc- learn to scuba dive, and then he feels like the Lord says to him that I am supposed to teach him to dive. It's kind of random, and then he he's kind of does a little research on the like Wyomcona website and everything, and he decides to come back. So he he cancels his um, this, the dive training that he booked with the dive shop in Miami, and instead he he comes here and does the DBS Discover Bible School or some something like that, and. Um, he does the school, and he reached out to me. He's like, hey, Daniel, do you teach people to dive? I'd love to. And I was like, actually, I do. And he said, okay, great. And so I teach him to scuba dive. I get him certified. And then he said, Daniel, I was praying, and I felt the Lord told me. And uh, actually, I've got to get a little backstory. Why Wyoming just opened the first Wyoming base in Saudi Arabia last year. Absolutely amazing. That nation is opening up. And Saudi Arabia is not a huge tourist destination, <laughs> and, uh, but there's some incredible scuba diving in the Red Sea. Um, off the coast of Saudi Arabia, but it's not hugely developed. And so when this guy, he came to visit, he was talking about Saudi Arabia, me and Sano, who I also taught to dive, were talking like, man, maybe we should open a dive shop in Saudi Arabia and use that as a base to work from, do missions. And then we're talking also with our friend Nicole in Somaliland. What if we open a dive shop there? It would be the first dive shop in Somalia. And um, But there's some great diving there. So then I taught this guy to dive from Miami, this businessman. And then he said, Dan, can we talk? And I was like, yes. He said, I was praying. I felt the Lord telling me to help you start dive shops in the nations if you want to. And he said, if you have the people, he said, I've got the money and the, the, the business. I can help you set it up and help fund it if you want to do it. And it was just so cool. So maybe we're going to open a dive shop in Saudi Arabia. Maybe we're going to open one in Somalia. And use it. There's a missionary I know in Oman. He works there as a dive instructor. That's how he can be in that nation. And he's a missionary there. God will use whatever you love. Maybe you love ponies. Or maybe you love toothbrushes. Whatever it is. God can use all these things you care about for his kingdom and in the nations to save the lost. There is a guy... There's a guy by the name of Alfonso who was a missionary in Uganda. And he was, lived in Uganda, working there. And um, he noticed there was a huge problem with malnutrition. And he saw the goats that the Ugandans had were skinny and barely producing milk. And yet many people in Uganda relied, many pastoralists relied on their goats. Then he went, he did this, the uh, YM Community Development School. And so he's realizing this problem. And um, he's praying, Lord, what do we do? He goes to England for some other training. And he sees an English goat who is big, fat, and juicy. So much milk, so much meat. And he comes back to Uganda. He's like, Lord, it's not your will that people suffer in poverty. These people, they need good goat milk and cheese and whatever. These guys need good goats. And he's thinking, like, what can I do? And so what he does is he goes to England and he buys a big daddy goat. He calls him Abraham because he wanted him to be the father of a great multitude. And so he brings Abraham to Uganda, imports this male goat, this why I'm a missionary, and sets up a dating service for, his, for Abraham. And Abraham meet produced. And many little goats were born. 
And the, the thing is, people had tried before to import uh, English goats and uh, Giganda, but they would all die because of the tropical diseases that they were not resistant to. But now he mated them with like the Ugandan goats, and the goats that were born were resistant to tropical diseases, and they were, had meat and lots of milk. And so he was working together with the University of Kampala in Uganda, and they set up some kind of breeding program. And after 12 generations of goats, you can declare a new um, uh, breed, a new breed. And so he's done it. He did it like 12 generations down, producing the best goats in Uganda. And then he goes, does the paperwork to register it as a new breed. And he goes there, and then at the end, they ask him a question he wasn't expecting. He said, so what do we call this new breed? He's like, oh, I don't know, actually. He'd not thought about it. He's like, we always just referred to Abraham as the YWAM goat. And they said, okay. And they just wrote down YWAM on the form. And true story, now there are markets in villages in Uganda where you can buy YWAMers. No human trafficking involved. And... And it's just another simple idea. Like, God can use you in so many different ways. There was years ago, there was this woman, an American woman named Nancy, who went and did her DTS in Australia. And then for outreach, she went to Rwanda. And this was in the 90s, just shortly after the genocide. Um, this war happened. About a million people died in a matter of, uh, in like about 100 days. And it was just horrific. And so now in the aftermath of the war, there were still mines in the ground all over the place. And what this lady found out is that 60% of their agricultural land was no longer usable because they had mines in the ground. And they didn't know or have the, the know-how how to replace, how to take these mines out of the ground in a safe way. And so this lady, she was there, and even during her DTS and her outreach, she's thinking, God, why am I here? What am I doing? Because she was a scientist from America, and she was actually always working with mice, and she trained laboratory mice. That was her job. And she's like, God, I'm not an evangelist. I don't, I'm not great at talking to people. I talk to mice all day. Like, why am I here on this outreach? Why am I here in Rwanda? Uh, and, and she's had a hard time putting her life and the things that she was good with together with this great commission, missions and the nations. And so she's there in Rwanda praying, asking the Lord, like, like, use me. What do I do? And she hears about all the mines in the ground. And she realized that people are suffering. I mean, if you're already suffering from uh, poverty and poor nutrition and then do not have access to 60% of your agricultural land, that's a huge problem in your nation, right? And so she's praying. She's thinking like, Lord, what, what do we do? How do we change this? What is your will? And she gets an idea. And she starts to work with a few mice. And she literally trained mice to sniff out and smell landmines. That's what she did. She said, the Lord will use what I have, and I want to make a difference in this nation. So she starts training mice to smell landmines. And so they had mice, put them on little leashes, send them into the field. And the mice, little white mice, they'll smell. And when they smell a landmine, they stand up and stand like this in front of the mines. Yeah. And that's how they were able to clear the mice. Now, other companies in the UN, they've, they've, they've taken her methods of training mice to remove landmines. I mean, how amazing is that? The Lord will use whatever you care about, your passions, your strengths. 
he will use that. And so don't just think of missionaries and evangelists or church planter. Think of it as a scientist who can train mice, somebody who can import goats, somebody who can start micro-business stuff. Maybe your passion is for healthcare and medic- medicine. God can use that. Maybe it's teaching. Um, we have several nations. There have been several countries in the world that have approached the University of the Nations and talked to us and said, like, from the government level, president, and said, can you guys help us rewrite the curriculum for primary education in our nation? I mean, imagine the influence you have when you write the curriculum for primary education in a nation. Maybe your passion is in, in, in education. Whatever it is, God can use it. God can use it. Now, when, <clears throat> now all of you guys, you're here and you're doing this DTS and you want to ask yourself or ask the Lord, Lord, why did you bring me here? Why did you bring me to YWAM? Because you know why you came. You made your decision. But what was God's decision? Like, what, what was God thinking? Why did God decide to take you and throw you into the middle of a missions movement? Why are you here with YWAM? Why does God want you here in this DTS? Why here on this mission space where we train the Lord season of your life to cross-cultural missions? To foreign missions. I think many of you will go. And YWAM is your, I mean, your DTS, your first stepping stone, so to speak, in YWAM. We always say, once a YWAMer, always a YWAMer. And you guys are at that stage in your life, most of you were asking questions, right? And rightfully so. You're asking the Lord, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? Where's my life going? And it says in the Bible that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Sometimes it's a, he speaks to us and it's a lamp to our feet. We only show, only see this one next step. Sometimes he's a light to our path and we can see the future further ahead. You guys are all in different places. Maybe all you know is, okay, I'm going to go on outreach. And after that, I have no idea what's going to happen with my life. Others of you, there's a light on your path and you can see further ahead. And you're like, I've got a plan. I'm going to do my outreach. I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to get married. I'm going to have two kids in three years. And blah, 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 blah. You've, Maybe you've got it all mapped out. Who knows? Obviously, it's all surrender to the Lord, but maybe the Lord showed you, and he spoke to you, and that's great. And the highest for our lives is always obedience to God. That's the highest. Whatever God asks of you, that you do. And whatever that is, we will celebrate that with you, right? Because that's the highest for your life. And so God says different things to each one of you. He's writing your story. And all of your journeys will look different. So you can't compare it to anybody else. Your journey is going to be unique. And there's seasons of waiting. There's seasons of training. There's seasons where you go. Seasons of planting. Seasons of harvest. You can't compare your season with the other person's season. And God is writing your story. I can tell you, I, I, I can't tell you this. At the end of your life, your life will have probably looked a little different than you thought it was going to look. <laughs> and you may live in a different place than you thought you were going to live. And, and I love that Caleb Cox from Abastello, he always says this. For some of you, your gravestones, they won't be written in English. Some of them, your headstone will be written in Farsi, in Arabic, Swahili, whatever language that is. Some of you, the Lord's calling. And in this season that you're here, what I believe one of the things the Lord's doing in your life, for all of us, He's ruining us for the ordinary. 
Because we want to be people that go all the way with the Lord, right? We don't want to live a lukewarm life. Like, that's horrible. The most miserable people are just lukewarm Christians, like half-hearted Christians, right? Like I said, like, they know enough to feel guilty, but they're not fully surrendered enough to the Lord to enjoy the joy and freedom of fullness in God. We want to go all the way, right? We're going to go all the way with Jesus. Our lives are His. He's the Lord of our lives, right? We threw His shoes and clothes on the stage. We're like, Lord, take us. All of it. Our future, our life, it's yours. And so we want to be open to the Lord. And, um, and so as we're seeking the Lord, we're like, Lord, what are you asking of me? Would you give me the privilege to go to the nations? Already, can I go now or do I go later? Like, when? And some of you, you'll spend your lives in the nation. Some of you, maybe just a few years. But I, I, I boldly want to challenge you, and, and I can confidently say this, because you'll never waste your life when you're giving yourselves for one or two or three years on the mission field. You'll never regret it. There's a lot of people, they did this um, uh, research with all the people who are on their deathbed, and they asked them certain questions, and one of them is, what do you regret most of your life? And one of the number of things, that, one things that were said over and over, they said, there was an unwillingness in my life to take risks. Looking back, my, one of their biggest regrets was always not willing to take risks. You guys are young. You can still choose what your life is going to look like, and choose to be willing to take risks. So a friend of mine, he leads the, uh, Jeremy, his name is Jeremy Curry. He leads the um, YOM, the Fire and Fragrance Base in Nepal. And, and it's, it's one of our most thriving um, bases that we've planted out of here. Um, many Nepali people have been saved and they're training them and sending them as missionaries to uh, Pakistan and other countries. And it's just it's such a dynamic work. But Jeremy, I mean, who leads that whole base, and um, he, he's doing just an incredible job, and he's been there for years. I don't know how many years. Do you guys know how many years Jeremy's been in Nepal now? Seven years. And you think, gosh, that guy's a hero. What a missionary. How awesome. And if you ask him, how did the Lord send you there? Like, was there an angel? Was there a vision? Was there, like, prophetic dreams or what? And he'll tell you this. No, I was doing my DTS. And um, he said, and then after he spent some time here, he said, and then a friend of mine wanted to go to Nepal. And he's like, I didn't know what to do with my life. My friend was going to go, and I thought, I'll just go with you. That's how he went to Nepal, and he gets to Nepal. And then within months, his friend's like, no, this is not for me. He went back. Jeremy stayed, and now he's been there for seven years and leads this incredible YM base right there in Nepal, reaching so many people, seeing hundreds and hundreds of Nepali getting saved. That's how he got there. He's like, I don't know what to do. My friend's going to go. I'll just go with it. Nothing super spectacular. See, I'm, I'm just saying that for you to, to, to say, like, you don't need to wait. Right. Brother Andrew, who's a, this incredible missionary hero, he said, Daniel, I don't believe, he told me one time, he said, I don't believe in a yes. He said, I believe in a no. He said, God already told me a yes. He said, I can go into all the worlds. He said, I just do whatever I want, go wherever I want. And I just trust the Lord to stop me if I'm moving the right direction, wrong direction. And he just goes for it. He's not waiting for some specific call. Luke, when he wrote the gospel, the book in the Bible, begins, he was a doctor. He writes it and he said, it seemed good to me to write down the, the whole story about Jesus. That's how he wrote the Bible. He's like, it seemed like a good idea. I'm, saying, I'm just going to write this stuff down about Jesus. He's in the Bible. <laughs> what seems like a good idea to you? Maybe you should just go for it. I just want to get a, the, a slide up here. 
we're going to go to the ends of the earth for love, right? We are people who say no to the American dream. We want to say yes to Jesus' dream. We're not going to pursue an international version of the American dream to go and make our name great in the nations. We want the name of Jesus to be great in the nations because we love Jesus and we love the nations. So we'll go to the ends of the earth for love. So there's three kind of sections here. The first one is your entry point. That's the DTS. Anybody in Waiwa, everybody has done a DTS. The only way in. All right, everybody comes in and does their DTS. Lecture face and outreach just as you guys are doing. Then next is preparation before you would launch to the nations if you want to go to nations. If you feel like, yeah, I want to go and serve in the nations, I'm just going to help you guys with this little tool to help you make decisions related to this. So I just want to talk a little, just for a minute, So we're about to wind up, end up here, um, uh, uh, talk a little bit about future opportunities here with YWAM. Basically, after you do your DTS, you're in, right? Your family, your YWAM, the rest of your life, you can't get away from us anymore. No matter what you do, all right? You go home, still a YWAMer. All right, so, <clears throat> but if you want to move forward, if you feel like, hey, there's more for me within YWAM and maybe here in Kona, you, you've got basically three options. Staffing, serving, or training. Staffing, serving, or training. So you can want, you could surf. You could come back here after your DTS, be on staff. You've done your DTS and serve in one of the ministries here. And that could be CrossFit, it could be serving in our cafeteria or with security, it could be, uh, I mean, we have so many different ministries, some of our local outreach ministries. And so if there's something here that you were part of, maybe through the tracks, the, the farm or media or whatever, and you're like, I like these people, I want to be part of this team, or I want to be in YWAM Kona here for a little while and just serve and be part of the community of staff people here just like me that help carry this campus, that's one option. The other one is um, staffing. <clears throat> Another thing that you could do is just like our staff, we have like about 50 staff in our school. You could come back and say, I want to staffing. This is really if you want to grow quickly in leadership and discipleship. If you're like, I want to do ministry. I want to work with young people and, and touch the nations. Then you can come back and staff. And so what happens then? So you come back and you become staff in a DTS. And we'll train you for that. You first do like a leadership track, which is one quarter where we train our leaders. And then you jump in and you're staffing a school and you've got your like outreach team. So you grow fast in discipleship and leadership and you lead a team to the nations on outreach. And you can do that one time. You can do that, come back and do another round the next year. And so that's just one of the best ways to grow in leadership and discipleship. Get incredible experience, and it's probably the number one thing that people choose afterwards. The easiest on-ramp here. The third option would be further training. If you're like, I know, I want to study more. Maybe scripture, or uh, whatever it is. We have so many schools. Every school after DTS is like an upper-level school. And we can train you up to master's degrees. University of the Nation has got trainings in over 800 locations all over the world. It's all modular. You can do trainings in, in a great variety of areas. And um, it's just many options. And so you could decide, for example, to come back and do Ref and Ref, which is a nine-month school. Or you could do the SBS, which is also a nine-month school. It's the School of Biblical Studies. In the SBS, you go through, you read through the whole Bible five times. 
and in nine months, and you study through the whole scripture. And it's just an incredible school. But we've got medical schools. We've got development schools. We've got all kinds of schools. And so basically, these are your options. You can staff and serve in a ministry here for a season. You can be a student and study more. Or you can staff in schools and grow in leadership and discipleship. Basically, those are your three options to move forward here through YM Kona after your DTS. And we're happy to talk more with you in process. And then when you're ready to launch to the nations, you can do Apostella, which is like our launching school. We give you tools on how to live cross-culturally, minister, communicate, learn language, um, how to deal with culture shock, all that kind of stuff. And you can go and be launched out to the nations. And my and, I, and many of you guys will. Now, these between those three, it's not that you choose one track to the nation, stick to it. You can come here and um, serve maybe in the farm or whatever. I'm going to start SBS. I'm going to do the SBS. And then you do that, and then you're like, now I want to get in shape before I move to Nepal. So I'm going to work with RTC, Respect the Corners, the CrossFit guys for half a year. Get in shape. Now I'm ready to go. Now I'm going to do Apostello, and boom, I go join a team in the nations. It can look many different ways. Then you spend a few years there, and you're like, actually, I still need more scripture. You go study some more. But now you're like, I've been in Kona. Now I'm going to do it in Cambodia. I'm going to do further studies in Cambodia. Then I'm going to go to South Africa and do some development studies, blah, blah, blah. Then I'm going to go to Uganda, buy me a goat. And then I'm going to find a wife there and give her the goat as a dowry and settle down and be an amazing missionary in Uganda. Whatever it looks like, right? Your journey can look many different ways. It can look many different ways. Um, again, obedience to the Lord's the highest, but, but, but I'll say this. I've been asking the Lord, and with our team, we've been praying for you guys a lot, praying fast for you guys, and, and fighting, contending for the call of God in your life. I've been asking the Lord, Lord, would you give me a hundred missionaries out of this school? A hundred who would say yes to foreign missions. A hundred who will say, Lord, I'm going to come back. I'm going to pursue you, whatever that looks like. And again, maybe all you know is the one next step, and that's okay. You don't have to have a 10-year plan. So you're saying yes to the Lord. I'm asking the Lord, Lord, would you give us 100 missionaries out of this school? John Piper said this. He said, either related to the Great Commission, either you go, you send, or you disobey. Many of you, the Lord will send you. You'll go. You're going to go to the nations. And, and for many people, it takes a few years. Many of you guys will come back here and spend a season here of training, of preparation. Many of them, that's two, maybe even three years. And then you launch out in, with a team. You could go immediately if you want to. But many people want a further season of training and just being more rooted in our, in our community before they go. But I'm asking the Lord, Lord, would you give us 100 missionaries? Give us 100 missionaries. Now, when you're talking, when you're making decisions, when you're looking into the future, I want you to decide without fear. You do not have to be afraid, all right? Relate to God and consider your future as a son, not as a slave. Some people, they're so nervous that they're going to miss the will of God. They're going to miss the plan. What if I choose the wrong thing or all of that? If I would take my kids up into the mountains... And I find this like big cliff and well, it's an amazing view. I said, kids, let's have a picnic here. Let's sit here and this is where we're going to have our lunch. And we sit down and then I'll tell my kids and probably especially my youngest, David, eight years old. I said, David, you can run around and be crazy, but don't get too close to the edge because I don't want you falling off in the canyon down there. And then we're sitting there, we're eating and David starts running around. And then if he runs towards the edge, what am I going to do? I'm going to sit back and see. Let's see if he listens. <laughs> Let's see if he's going to stick with the boundaries or if he's going to keep running in the wrong direction and fall off. That's not what I'm going to do. 
I'm not going to watch him run off a cliff, right? I would yell. I would stop him. Guys, you're a child of God. He's not going to just let you go and mess up your life. All right? You can boldly choose trust God. He will stop you. He will take away your peace. He has a way to communicate to you. He's really good at it. And so you just go for it. You just go for it. All right? Now be wise. Do it in context with other people. Talk to people. But don't be afraid to make decisions. You're a son, not a slave. John Wimber, he said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. Have faith, take risks. See, almost everybody will tell you to be careful. And when your mommy tells you to be careful, that's because she loves you. But when the world tells you to be careful and settle down and slow down, it's because they're uncomfortable by your radical attitude. It's because they are uh, um, exposed. Your wholeheartedness, your risk-taking, your surrender to God exposes their lukewarmness. And people will tell you, settle down. Just take it easy. Just be normal. Just come home. What are you, you crazy? Why danger? What? You've got a good life here. Get another insurance. Get a life here. For the most part, people will tell you, don't take risk. Be safe. Think of yourself. Take care. Love yourself. Have more insurance. Blah, 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 blah. I want to be a different voice. I want to say, guys, take risks. Go after the Lord. <clears throat> this uh, missionary, Hudson Taylor, he said, I found that, every, that there are three stages in every great work of God. First is impossible, then it's hard work, then it's done. I want to challenge you guys with your lives to do what is impossible. To do and go for something that outside of the grace of God will fail. If you have a dream and it seems reasonable and doable, it may not be from the Lord. You don't really need him for it. Go do something that you need God for. All right? And the last thing I'll say, we're really going to close, is that you, I want to encourage you to seek godly community and family. The, 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 the crying need of our generation is belonging, is community, is relationship. And God did that. Right? He said to Adam, it's not good for a man to be alone. And it's still not good for a man to be alone. Or women, for that matter. Right? Even God himself well in relationships and community. And, 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 and again, you're not going to make it in life. I'm not trying to give like this negative doom prophecy or anything. But you're not going to make it if you're going to try to just go it alone. Because we're called to do this life in the context of family and friendships and godly community. And it's so important. To a very large degree, your success in life and, 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 and in God depends on the measure, the quality of your relationships. Somebody once said, Daniel, show me your best friends and I will tell you what your future looks like. So one time I told my wife, I thought, yeah, I had a cool quote. It's like, Marlies, somebody said this, show me your friends and I'll show you what your future looks like. And then and the, and the guy said, he said, you are the average of the three people you spend most of the time with. And Marlies is like, gosh, my kids are this and this. So I'm like, 11, <laughs> like on average. <laughs> you are the average of the people you spend most of your time with. See, we quickly adopt bad habits when we hang out with bad people. And it's easier to be pulled down to pull up. If I take somebody, if I, here, Connor, come here. Why don't you stand on your chair? If Connor 
was much stronger than me, which he, he very well might be, right? Connor was much stronger than me, and we would be holding hands, and we'd do this little game or a little battle. I'd say, Connor, you pull me up onto the chair, and I'm going to try to pull you down off the chair. Who would win? I would, right? Even if I were stronger, because it's easier to pull somebody down than to pull somebody up. You can sit down. It's easier to pull somebody down than to pull somebody up. You want to be around people that are godly, that will call you higher. That will call you higher. And many of you guys, you came from a community back home. And some of you had an amazing community. Others did not at all. You were among friends that were not good. I'm not saying we isolate from unbelievers and do not have contact with them. We do. The question is, who influences who? And for some of you, it's just straight up not helpful to go back home to that community at this point. You need a longer season with godly community, godly friends, where you can be vulnerable and real and open and honest and be loved in the midst of all your crap and taken on this journey where you grow in the Lord to maturity and then you go to the nations or go back home, wherever the Lord sends you, right? Obedience to God is the highest. And so I want you just to consider that, that for some of you, YM can be your family. I mean, and it is, right? You've joined YM once a YM or always a YM, you can't get rid of us. We can always track you down. At the end of the DTS, we do this one last ceremony where everybody gets their chip, and it's one of the most beautiful moments. It's one of the most beautiful moments in every DTS. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But maybe for a hundred of you guys, we can be your family. We can be your tribe to run with for many years. For many years. And what a joy that would be. So I just wanted to get your Raiders thinking. There's, there's many opportunities, whatever your passions are, and we are eager to help you find it. My heart is to fight for God's will for your life, all right? God's will, obedience to Him is the highest, wherever He sends you. Maybe that is back home. Maybe it's to come back here for a season. You don't have to make a 10-year commitment. Just take one step at a time. But I'm ha- we're happy to help you take those steps. Again, I'm asking, Lord, would you give us hundred missionaries that will go to the nations i believe there's many of you who from weakness the lord is making strong and who he's sending out to the nations how exciting is that right and the rest of us who are not going we're going to pray for you we're going to finance you guys we're going to be your biggest support and cheerleaders yeah all right let me pray god i thank you that you're good you're an amazing leader, God, and we say we trust your leadership. And I've got to pray for every student here and ourselves that you would lead us, that you would speak to us, that you would be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, that you would give us courage to make great decisions, willingness to take risks, and justice, faithfulness to persevere to the call that you have for us. God, give us a gift of faith, God, to lay hold of all that you have for us and to say yes to every challenge and follow the Lamb wherever he leads. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's have our break.